When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're suffering, it doesn't matter if it's at the hands of the SS in Auschwitz or she tells the story of a woman who got a new car in the wrong color. Bang, bang. What up? How you doing? Three in a row. All right. We're at a thousand on Patreon, right? We're almost up to one a month. Yes. So we got this and then we'll see how we do with next week off so far, unless there's an extra $200 that comes into Patreon in the next six days which case we can afford Justin four times a month. <laughs> Thanks everyone for donating. Yeah, thank you guys. It's awesome. What do you got? I got some heat. Do you want to start with something that's a little bit racy? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is today's blackface? The thing that uh, people are going to look back on you? So let me, let me, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Getting in trouble. Yes. Because he did a Chris Rock impression. Yeah. And he painted his face to look African-American. Mm-hmm. Chris Rock is a friend of his that has been on his show that yeah. absolutely doesn't mind, right? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel did Carl Malone, yep. getting in trouble for it. Justin Trudeau did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the time, no one cared. I mean, uh-huh. I didn't. I at least don't remember hearing anyone say. Well, Jimmy someone Kimmel. might have cared. It wasn't mainstream. No, no, because I, I think we choose your words carefully. Someone cared. Sure. Someone uh, is upset about everything. Jimmy Fallon did not know. I would be willing to bet that that was upsetting to people. I, I would have. And Chris Rock might have called him and said he thought it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's something today that we're all doing. Mm-hmm. or a lot of us are doing that in 20 years people are going to look at and, and shame us for or tell us that we're yeah, monsters yeah. for or say it's unethical so this is so megan kelly got fired for saying that when she was little uh blackface nobody had a problem with it it was just normal it was just kids dressing up and she got fired from fox news for saying that because mm-hmm. what the what people said to her was uh of course this is not true everyone knew i'm the same age as you of course, of course, of course, which is silly to doubt <laughs> in my mind because my experience growing up was I had never heard of this. Now, oh, yeah, you can no, say, I heard of blackface at all when I was a kid. You can argue that I should have, but I don't know what to tell you other than <laughs> I had not recognized or heard that that was upsetting to anybody. And, and if one, that was, thing, one thing I'm very confident about is that what, there wasn't a malicious intent when we were nine. Yes. And someone was like, my favorite player is Michael Jordan. So for yeah. Halloween, they'd go out in a Michael Jordan jersey. And they'd make their white face look more like Michael's in their nine-year-old mind. So this is, and what I try to imagine, and just to sort of set the thing, because I think if somebody, it's totally possible the two people grow up with radically different cultural understandings. Yeah, by possible, you mean definitely happens. Definitely, which is to say that if I I could say a a handful of syllables that to our English-speaking audience would be baby talk, 
but to our Portuguese-speaking audience, would be the most offensive shit they'd ever heard. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it to go, oh, you should have known. Well, we recognize that we have different language languages, and of mm-hmm. course, if somebody were to baby talk a swear word in Portuguese, we would let them off the hook. But I think we fail to recognize that we have very different cultural upbringings and understanding. So I'm just trying to lay the, the, the foundation of this. So your question is... My question is, there's a 19-year-old in college right now mm-hmm. getting photos taken of him on a camera phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at a party or doing something that he and everyone around him thinks is totally fine. Yeah. 20 years from now, he's going to go down for it. Mm-hmm. What is that thing? Well, we've talked a lot about meat, which I think is is a, a definite. I uh, don't think it's meat. And I think the reason why is because even if nobody, uh, how do I put this? If 95% of people were okay with blackface in 1998, only 2% of them have photos of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 20 years, you won't be able to cancel someone for eating meat. I thought about this. Like, let's say I run for president in 30 years. It won't be because you post a steak on Instagram because no one will be able to pretend that they weren't guilty of the same. Because everybody has photos of them eating meat, which is to say it has to be socially acceptable now but deniable in 20 years that you were like that monster. Well, I think, yeah, develop this. I think you have to develop the idea because uh, I imagine that we have we have different audiences. And I imagine some of them, their whole lives have been told blackface is bad. And I imagine some of them, like you and I, hadn't heard that up until the last several years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to I'm trying to set the stage for that. The, the Your question is, what thing, yeah, might people have done? But also... I'm 19, I'm well-intentioned, yeah. I'm not trying to do anything bad, and in 20 years, I'm going to lose my job because this photo surfaces. And I don't think, even though I think and, at some point in 100 years, eating meat will be considered evil, uh-huh. I don't, I do not foresee that happening because it's so common now. Well, the, the other interesting thing is that people, uh, left to right, Jenna Marbles even muttered that she didn't mean to, that she just had bronzer on, and people assumed that she was putting blackface on because she was, at the time, with a bad bronzer doing a Mickey, Nicki Minaj impersonation. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that is common to blackface is that people are um, self, I don't know what the word, uh, self-flagellating mm-hmm. and saying, oh my God, I'm so evil, I should have known better. When if you listen to them under the breath, they go, I had no fucking idea that anybody was going to even mm-hmm. interpret this as as uh, blackface or... Um, yeah, in the 90s, Jimmy Kimmel thought it so, was funny to do the Carl Malone impression. He didn't think he was hurting anyone's feelings, but now he's apologetic for it. And yes, so okay, so, the so year what is, is that 2040. Thing? Well, there's definitely words. I mean, we've talked a lot about the words that have like we talked about the difference between imbecile, moron, mentally retarded and how you could still call people Idiot, morons stupid, yep. despite the fact that moron I believe is an IQ under a certain yep. amount. So I think that's a, I think that's a solid one. Yeah. I think if you had a social media post or Instagram post where you call someone a moron or mm-hmm. an imbecile, yeah. that sure, there's a chance that so, is the thing in and, 20 years and for those of you who didn't, by. Yeah, who didn't hear the the first time we talked about it, the general idea is that there's different classifications of IQs under a certain amount or this was the common terms that were used, I don't know, 50 years ago. Yep. Uh, imbecile was one moron was one uh mentally retarded but i don't even think they said the mentally before they just simply called them retarded and they were um not necessarily pejorative categorizations of iqs in a certain band no no more it was just you know genius (laughs) gifted average it was just what they had on the spectrum yes uh so that's definitely one and moron is lower than mentally retarded just to say when you call someone a moron it's technically more offensive yes but it's gotten a green light so far in society so So that's that's a potential one and there's words there's words for everything like i'm not going to say them because who knows how offensive and upsetting they get but uh there's there's words for every single different race that at one point was the categorization and i think uh might have been mean-spirited because people were racist but the word itself did not carry an especially 
mm-hmm. evil connotation. Now, maybe the people hated people of that ethnicity. <laughs> what about non-trans people who cross-dress at a costume party? Ooh, interesting. Right? Meant to be done for fun. That is... Because you're being Elsa from so Frozen. So white chicks just got double slammed. Well, my face is okay. <laughs> but I'm thinking, like, I was Daenerys Targaryen for a Halloween because yeah. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Right? 20 years from now, is that considered some sort of microaggression because i don't actually identify as a woman but i'm dressing well as one. so now i'll play i'll play the other person who thinks no there is a um a natural limit to quote unquote cancel culture what they would say is that blackface arose out of the minstrel series which is originally uh meant to denigrate black people and that's the reason that blackface is bad it's not because you're putting on makeup it's because there is a historical reference to something which uh a certain group of people for forever and now it seems like a wider and wider group of people take to have that implication sure but in 1999 if i asked jimmy fallon what the the question series was sure he might have gone i don't know what you're talking about maybe um uh, yeah uh, in any event so what if so what if there's a thing that we don't know about that involved so that's the question so if there's if there's a if there is a group of people who can point to a thing where there was a tv show where Mm -hmm. men mockingly dressed up as women uh and that group can sway culture enough to get people to say that this is what this means when you do it i think that's plausible um but the greater point and i hope that we don't go this far is we've said it a million times is to try your best though it's an imperfect mechanism to interpret someone's intent Mm. with anything which is the same thing if i were to say a bunch of swear words in some foreign language because in my language, they mean something else. Yeah. Uh, to, to try to understand, and I think this is part of the difficult thing, is to, until you have a very good reason not to, I think you have to take people at their word when they say, I didn't understand that that was upsetting to you. Because we are living in an increasingly multicultural world, which is to say that there are a wider and wider number of people that will have a different reaction to certain hand gestures, mm-hmm. facial gestures, syllables that oh, one dude, might I just, say. I literally just found out yeah. like like three months ago that the OK sign is apparently now a white power sign. Yeah, yeah. I guess it started as a prank that 4chan yeah. did. Mm-hmm. And then the white supremacy people or white power people liked the idea. So then they took it as a serious one. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea because when I was growing up, it just meant OK. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'll find, dude, you could find a photo of me. From before 4chan even came up with that idea where I'm making the okay sign. Yeah. And then be like, oh, white power. Even though it, was, it didn't even mean white power then. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like the photo occurred, 4chan occurred, the sign became taken as serious. Yeah. But you just grab a photo of me where I look like I'm an adult. Let's say I look like I'm 22. Just be like, he's a hate. he's got hate in his heart. Yeah. The other interesting thing is that it's a uniquely, I don't want to say simply American, because I'm sure there are other countries, but it's a particularly American phenomenon. So when you look into countries like China or even living in Latin America for a while, uh, if there's a chubby kid on the street, everyone calls him gordo, like, <laughs> which is fat. Really? <laughs> like, this yes. is in Costa Rica? It, this, is, this is in many places in Latin America that is, yeah, gordita, gordo, like they, they uh, if you're if you're Asian, they like there was an Asian kid in my class. I studied in Costa Rica for a year. He was Chino, which is just is is an adjective which is Chinese. That's yeah, yeah. what's what it says, and then that becomes that person's moniker. Yeah, bro. Uh, the reason that I'm looking at you confused is because my language skills were such that if I wasn't being spoken to directly, I barely understood what was happening. <laughs> so if somebody said blah 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 gordo blah blah blah. Yeah. I was just trying to figure out what they were saying. And if anybody says that that's not true, it is absolutely 100% the case, or at least it was when I was 
19 years old in Costa Rica. I always giggle when people, when we talk about our experience living abroad and then someone that lives yeah. there now will be like, that's not what it's like. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, just to be clear, I'm not an American like pontificating on my, yeah, yeah. my idea of a theoretical Brazil. Like I lived there. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. just my experience, but it's my actual experience. Like this is what it was like from to me when i was there yeah so the but the other thing and it was interesting living in um but when we went to brazil this was one that that was offensive mm -hmm. in 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 portuguese mm -hmm. i believe the color for black is preto it's been a while man so uh, sorry if my language skills are trash but that would be extremely offensive mm -hmm. to call a black person by that and so it's it, it, that that was always the weird thing about going to these different cultures and learning what was completely upsetting and offensive that was so normal here and what was what was the flip so i remember the first time i wore a sunga which is those tiny little speedos mm -hmm. out in public i felt like i was naked yeah i felt like i was shouldn't have been there and was about to be arrested or something because in america those things are like not, I don't want to say suggestive, but like, who's the dude wearing the speedo? Like, it's someone what is from he Europe or to? Latin America. It's, yeah, yeah. And if it's an American dude, what is he? What has he got going on? Yeah. Uh, and the first time I wore a sunga, I remember feeling like this is wrong. Yeah. And then looking around at me and seeing that no one was looking at me and everyone else had well, one. Dude, on. or the flip side, I feel like America is the middle ground for sarcasm. So mm -hmm. whenever we do a video about sarcasm and we, we say, "Here's how you should," yeah. should people in Britain are just like wrong yeah. wrong because they're so much more sarcastic than us yeah but dude i was coming from new york so were you going down to brazil and the way you flirted in new york especially in the high-end nightclubs that i was uh yeah. like kind of being a promoter at at the time you are very sarcastic and everybody just knows that it's a banter mm -hmm. and then you take that down to brazil and you say something that's a little bit sassy and that is not how they flirted yeah, yeah, yeah. in rio de janeiro when we were there it was very much more a direct mm -hmm. form of i like you i think you're pretty let's hang out type yeah. thing and you would say something that was just totally lighthearted, meant with flirtatious love, and you would hurt someone's feelings on accident. Because yeah. you would, the direct words you were saying was like, oh, you're just buying me this drink because you want to get me drunk and take advantage of me. Yeah. And the girl would be like, oh, how dare you? Yeah. I bought you that drink because I liked you and I thought you liked me. And now you think I'm just trying to use you for your body. And you're like, no, 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 wait, wait. I don't actually think this. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is just the thing I said because it's so obvious I don't think this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the different cultures are crazy. I, I remember we, and coming back and forth, this is the culture shock. Anything, what I recall in Brazil is anything shy of a completely direct compliment was interpreted as disinterest mm -hmm. so you had to be and also one of the things in america that i that i remember was if you go up and there was someone that you liked at a bar you're talking to them if you ignore their friends you're a dick yeah you yeah. know you're just a jerk you're standing there and, and she, creepy you she's out with girls. two of her friends and you just are are speaking to one while while completely ignoring the other two that's so rude yeah and then in brazil if you're rio speaking Janeiro, to a girl sorry rio de janeiro when i was there yeah uh, frequently, if you were speaking to someone and as an American does, hey, what's introduce me to your friend? Nice to meet you. And you talk to them. That is like, oh, how dare you? Yeah, they you just don't even like they me. They immediately assumed you were using them to get to their friend <laughs> yeah. and they get pissed and they bounce. Um, so it was. So anyway, I, I don't know, but I do think that what has to happen as the world opens up is we have to recognize that we come from different backgrounds. We have at the at, obviously at the surface very different tactical ways of expressing the same sort of uh i think what is foundationally uh human experiences like i hate you but that can be expressed in different ways mm -hmm. uh, i'm being passive aggressive that can be expressed in different ways uh dude you know how long it took me to figure out that bless her heart or bless his heart in 
the South meant I was about to say something mean or I just said something mean. Yeah, because I thought it was a compliment. But normally what it'll be is it'll be like, I didn't know this. Oh, that that person's a little bit slow. Bless her heart. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I went down to visit my buddy who lives in Marietta, Georgia, and they were all throwing around the bless, bless their hearts. And I was like, wow, these guys are friendly. was <laughs> like, no, dude, you're totally misreading the room on this one. So what is that? That's what you say after you after an insult, basically. To soften it and yeah. sort of so save you, face. So you're not a jerk. Ah, uh, got it. Because it's like, but a, he's a nice guy. It's a nice, he's a great guy. Well, yeah, it's yeah. just a nice. It's a kinder um, culture from the front. You know I, what I mean? see. Versus New York. I remember I took a girl I was dating to a pizza place in New York, and the dude was just like very short the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, what do yeah. you want? Come on, this that. And then at the end, like, gave us some free stuff as we were checking out. She was like, "Why did he do that?" I was like, "He's being friendly, like, but he hates us. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't hate us. He just wanted us to get our thing." I think the South is the opposite, where there's more of a uh, outward appearance of kindness and mm -hmm. so even when you're insulting someone you bless their heart afterwards Got to it. show you're not a you're not a jerk even though you are being a jerk interesting and i think okay so what is i've thought about this because the answer if you don't want any trouble in the future is to be completely offline and then be a chameleon and pretend that you understood that culture was going to evolve at break oh yeah speed. i was going to say this like way back when you were like <laughs> so what we have to do is remember there's intention i was yeah, in my head we I was actually thinking, have to and do. if you want to be a politician run whenever you see you someone see hold camera. their phone up yeah, like yeah. they're taking a video this is a, this is a violent act <laughs> if you're trying to be president yeah because you're going to do something you and you have no idea what it is and in 20 years they're going to show your photo when you're arabian nights prince mm -hmm. and you're justin trudeau you're going to go uh-oh yeah so i th i mean uh, the i don't want to recommend this to anybody but, but the truth is i think increasingly and we've seen it uh in the political sphere at least in america i suspect that some of this might be exported to other countries so if you're not seeing it in your country of origin right now it's coming give it some time because it's funny it, it a lot of these cultural trends tend to evolve in west coast america expand out towards east coast america and then are exported abroad where they're picked up to varying degrees yeah uh, and so it's totally possible that this doesn't happen it's not like COVID. it doesn't reach everyone <laughs> it does yeah it, it does does get stopped by by culture for sure uh but it it seems like if you want to run one, you have to have no digital past mm -hmm. uh, and or be Teflon like Donald Trump, who mm -hmm. was 65 years old saying, I'm going to grab him. You know, they mm -hmm. let you they let you do this. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't I don't have the answer other than try to focus more on character than reputation. Yeah, that's is, the actual which answer. is like it just just try to be try to find your values be a kind person, apologize when you reflect and you've done th something wrong, not when people gang up on you. You can adjust your behavior. And I guess to occur, this is one of the things uh, that I found in traveling back and forth is that I was saying sorry for things that I really had no ill will. Mm -hmm. Like, like uh, my culture was fine to be sarcastic in this particular area. This, in your culture, I've upset you. Now, because I was the outsider in a dominant culture, I did use sorry as a bit of like, as I reflect on it, it was a lubricant, a social mm -hmm. lubricant to be like, I, I'm sorry, I, di I didn't mean to offend you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we talked about this in one of our previous podcasts. So I still haven't quite figured out when sorry is appropriate. Is yeah. it about when I've done something that breaks my own code? Is it about when I've upset you and now your feelings dictate whether or not I'm sorry, which is, is ripe for abuse, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't really know how to handle it, but I do re remember I actually was apologizing when I did things without any poor intent that upset people mm -hmm. constantly. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was like a way of life, you know? Well, you don't need intent to be like, 
if we're setting up the studio and I drop a light on your head, I can be sorry. Yeah, sure. Even sure, though I was fair. like, I wasn't trying to drop. I wasn't yeah. like, ha ha, gotcha. But I bumped it. It lost its ground. It hit you in the head. And yeah. I'm sorry. It hit you in the head. Yes. Yes. Well, this is the other thing is that then it's what does one apologize for? This is a big thing in the YouTube apology scene. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah, somebody yeah. makes an apology video. If you apologize for people's upset feelings, I apologize to the people who are upset that is not very well received. Mm. What people want is for you to apologize for what you did, yeah. as if the harm was in the behavior and not in the reception of it. And we've talked about this, but I think that speaks a lot to the current climate, which is to say reality does not exist in, it's not my interpretation. Things are offensive. Things in the world exist that are offensive. Yeah. And that's what you should be sorry for. Not the fact that it bothered me because that was not a not a choice, couldn't have been adjusted. That was a fixed quantity. Yeah, which is funny because really what, and this is where it gets dangerous, what you want to do is apologize to the extent that you've caused harm, right? Mm -hmm. Which is to say, if I'm alone in my apartment and I drop a light, I don't have to, I'm not sorry to anyone, you know what I mean? I just have to buy a new light. Mm -hmm. But if I hit you on accident, then what I'm sorry about is that it hurt you. You know, yes. obviously I'm going to feel more sorry to the extent it does more damage to you, yeah, which yeah. I think is like, the right thing if it just bounces off and you giggle then i'm not as sorry then if it hits you in the eye and you, you're on the ground crying losing oh my eye. god i'm like oh my god i'm so sorry i bumped the light i yeah. really am so sorry yeah and that's with physical harm that's a fine rule mm -hmm. with emotional harm it gets tricky because the the thing is you aren't really allowed to question somebody's expressed level of experienced harm can i push back on the physical harm because it's the same problem let's say you bump a light uh it's a soft box and it lands on my foot and I scream. Oh, I'm just a lot. What I'm saying is I'm allowed to call you out, though. I'm just like, dude, stop being a baby. But if you say, okay. but if you're if you're saying that I experienced um, prejudiced harm, mm -hmm. it would be insane for somebody to publicly call you out for being for exaggerating. Well, this is OK. So do you want to jump ships right here? I don't want to. Sure. OK, so I've I've been reading this book called The Choice. It's by a Holocaust survivor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You told and me a little bit about it. It's fascinating. It's freaking amazing. Uh, really good memoir. And I can go deeper into, but one of the things that she says early on, which she believes that there's not a hierarchy of suffering, is that suffering, if you're suffering, it doesn't matter if it's at the hands of the SS in Auschwitz, or she tells a story of a woman who got a new car in the wrong color and was wrecked by it. Wow, she thinks and, that's the same. And I go, you have you have to be a Holocaust survivor <laughs> to, to say, say that. Because if you're a woman that gets the color of your car wrong and you say that, you're going down. Well, she's got a ton of credibility, right? No, that's what I'm saying. She's got you so only get to say that when you're the Holocaust survivor. <laughs> yes. And it's such a challenging idea. That is crazy. To to wrap one's head around because again, okay, let's let's assume that where I kind of do get which is that for context, you told me a little about this. This woman was so malnourished at one point that she I'll tell you this story, yeah. she couldn't move. Like this is this person just like she, get, she, was, she wasn't in the concentration camps for a day and then released. No, like no. she had it bad. They took her whole family. Uh, uh, immediately, I mean, it's hard. I'm, this is the Holocaust. This is not happy stuff. They split the family. Dad was gone immediately. Mom was sent into the showers where they gassed them. Yeah, yeah just to be clear, gone is dead. Yes. Uh, they they took her, her one sister managed to escape. Her and her sister went through months and months. Were marched to the. They were like marched to the last bastion because they started in Auschwitz and then where they pulled these these women back. At the end of the day, is it because were, Auschwitz had fallen. Uh, yeah, they were. They were like. So they were just trying to keep their yep. their their people victims. 
whatever you want to call so it. So they were, of the 15,000 people in their town, the 15,000 Jews that were taken from their town, 70 survived, which is a death rate of 99.6%. Wow. She was literally breaths away from death. The Holocaust is almost as effective as birth control. It is insane, dude. It's insane. So the, the GI comes in, I told you the story, to like say, who's alive? It's just a heap of bodies. They're all dead. She's barely alive, but she can't raise her hand. Who's alive? GI leaves. <laughs> it's like the Titanic. She can't do it. One more GI. Anyone in here alive? Previously, which was a heartbreaking story, the American Red Cross had dropped cans of food, but they were too weak and had no tools to open the food. So they're starving with cans of sardines. But fortunately, she has a can of sardines by her hand, and she's able to reflect the light wow. into the GI's eye. And he comes over and scoops her complete. I mean, she's breaths away from seen, dying. Have you seen the photos? They're, yes. they're heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, how, yeah. How malnourished these yeah. people are. And then and then her recovery, like she didn't speak, I think, for weeks. I don't want to mistell the story, but she was just, she just didn't move it then for a month yeah. uh, afterwards. And anyway, then she came out and lived this incredible life. But she says that there's no hierarchy of suffering. Yeah, which is crazy. <laughs> and I go, how is that possible? But I, I take, I, I, I tried engaging with this idea. And one of the difficulties of it is that Okay, let's suppose that it's true, that suffering is relative, and it's relative to one what one has experienced, and it's just, suffering is the experience of wishing that reality isn't what it is, yeah. right? That it were somehow different, and, and the degree to which you begging, pleading, fervently desiring it to be different is the degree of suffering. Uh, does, does the fact that she experienced Holocaust-level suffering protect her in the future from wrong car color suffering, or does that go away? No, she still has marital problems. She still has, uh, she still struggles and she still has PTSD. So she's, they don't know what really PTSD is at this time. And so she's one of the first people to recognize that a lot of people survived the Holocaust and then want to die. Like they, they fought, 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 had to survive, had to survive, did everything they could to make it. And then they get out, they make it to America and they want to die. <laughs> and they're going like, How, what is going on here? Wow. So she's, she's looking into PTSD. It's, it's fascinating on so many different levels. But with regards to the suffering bit, uh, assuming that suffering is the desire for reality to be different and the degree of suffering is the degree to which one desperately wishes. So when you're in pain, there's that sense of like, stop, 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 like anything to change mm -hmm. the current state of things is suffering. Um, one, it puts suffering in the context of uh, very much seemingly within the control of consciousness. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that there is free will, but it's very much an interpreted thing. Well, Pain Victor. exists, but suffering is optional. That was Viktor Frankl. So people who don't know Viktor Frankl, yeah. she, what, she what was his, his book? Uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Man's so she she meets meaning. Viktor Frankl. They're like the two. Yeah, so he was a Holocaust survivor as well. And he, his biggest discovery coming out of the Holocaust, in his opinion, was that pain is not optional, but suffering yep. is. And so while he was there, Obviously, he's got the hunger pains. He's being tortured. He's got to go out and break rocks with hammers. But then when he's back in his bunk, where he directs his mind, in his opinion, determines the strength of suffering that he experiences. Mm -hmm. And so when he sits there and he daydreams about the lectures he's going to give when he gets out, he can minimize his suffering. And when he thinks about the fact that he's been there for so long and there's no end in sight, mm -hmm. this is going to be his life forever and he's probably going to die he can maximize his suffering. Uh, and so, yeah. And he talks like about beautiful moments where he looks at, it's been a while, but where he sees the sunset or sees a, a kind act and it's it's in 
unmitigatedly beautiful moment for a moment mm -hmm. uh, and then he's you know transported back to the fact that he's in a he's in a death camp but i was thinking about this and of course the problem then becomes okay if we assume that there is no hierarchy to suffering so people who need help come in all different social stratas all different everythings mm -hmm. i mean maybe that means that jeff bezos needs a charity because he's suffering so intensely he's clearly working so hard and that divorce was so hard just to give an example of someone yeah, yeah not but like that you're saying this is the case but just that it could be the case it could be the case that we need to band together to help jeff which is such a mind trip to, yeah, to yeah. consider when you when you've thought of suffering uh, as at the very least having a baseline level of needs maslow's hierarchy which this is where real suffering occurs and this is where first world suffering occurs it's all up well, here i think we talked about this one of the reasons that i left so i was on wall street making a lot of money and mm -hmm. one of the reasons i left was uh, we traveled abroad and saw kids playing soccer with a ball on concrete, mm -hmm. happy as could be. You know what I mean? And then I'd return back to my bosses and I would see some of them be miserable millionaires. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of that sense of like, oh, this whole money thing isn't what makes people happy. Yeah. It sounds like that's, that's you're saying that well, you apply that to the opposite as well. So in addition to recognizing that poor people <laughs> can be more joyous than the average person, you recognize that like somebody there looks like they have it all, all the money, all the fame, all the dating, whatever, and is as miserable as someone who's starving to death. Sure. That's if, what you're saying. If your ethic is built, and a, a lot of mine is, and I think a lot of our viewers would be broadly built around the idea of reducing suffering in the world, you might be orienting it in a wrong direction. In fact, you might be better served to go to Instagram and see who's posted the most today and yeah. go, that person is hurting that's my mission is can to I, help can i go one argument for continuing to do yeah, it the way that of we course, do it of course so if you think of it in terms of suffering reduction per dollar spent yes, yes. then you can go okay 10 cents per malaria net i send a bunch of malaria i send a thousand malaria nets over for 100 bucks prevent some people from dying so now their kids have parents this and that sure some of those people might have been joyous even if their parents died of malaria but per 10 cents i'm doing a lot of good Mm -hmm. Whereas for me to help just Jeff Bezos would require so much more than zero time and a hundred dollars. He'd need hugs and exactly be very time intensive. Yeah. I certainly can't do it with my money. I'd have to do it with my time. So maybe there's an argument to say like, sure, we can recognize that Bezos might be suffering as much as one person yeah. in a bad spot, but thirty bucks charity water, ten years of clean water, like that's just scalable. So if your goal is to reduce yeah. suffering in the world, it still makes sense to to look at the play, the most scalable or most affordable ways to reduce suffering yes does that make sense yes yes you're saying that time is finite and money can scale and grow versus there's the same amount of and time. can help jeff bezos the least because yes. <laughs> yes. he's that's the one thing he has even now, if he's suffering now one one thing we don't have we have tracked uh for a long time we we have a general idea of how long people have lived we have a general idea of when they died of disease how many people died violently mm -hmm. and of course we've always assumed which seems obvious that that is suffering right oh, that dude. life was nasty brutish and short do you want i just have a fun fact i'm going to throw in here because i was sure. going to bring this up did you know that the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 50s so let's uh, i'm sure that that's an interesting study i'd like to hear more about how they found it but let's just pretend that that's broadly similar mm -hmm. this is the other thing she says comparing suffering doesn't work like to say that yours is the same well it's as not mine. suffering it's anxiety and anxiety, i think they sure. use an anxiety scale i think there's just the way that therapists sure decide how much anxiety you have and how big a problem it is it really let's assuming that this is all true mm -hmm. it does kind of mess with my model of the world in terms of 
uh, how to help, what one can do, scalable help, and it then puts it in the perspective of like, okay, if you want to reduce suffering in the world, sorry, but the only thing that can do it, as cheesy as this is, is your own time, attention, and love. Like, mm-hmm. of course, and, and, and money is a component within that, right, being able to help someone, but one could imagine that the suffering in Africa without malaria, and that's if, of course, they're crying because their children are dying, et cetera, but as this woman, I don't know her first name, her last name is E-G-E-R, um, found when she left the Holocaust, I don't think her suffering ended, and I, she doesn't say, but you don't necessarily get the impression that it was less when she originally arrived in America and she was sewing uh, whatever it was that she was and she was still facing uh, exclusion and racism even though she was well fed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was no immediate threat of death. So it's just a strange, it's a strange idea to consider that we actually might not totally have a good track on the hotspots for suffering, which isn't to say that we can't intuit. We can't imagine yeah. that a war-torn region has probably got more of it. Uh, but it's just as likely, and I've seen this when I've been out in Las Vegas, that the number one table is the hotspot for suffering in that club. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. the hotspot for suffering is the people. I don't even. This isn't meant to be judgmental of them. That are with their photos out, their phones out, taking lots of pictures, not happy in between photos. Well, t- we've we've done this is like, anecdotal, not mm-hmm. true of everyone, but in our experience, the more a couple posts photos of themselves on Instagram the worse they are doing. So if you just look at any particular couple- Somebody's gonna feel this as an attack. <laughs> and you you, uh, you track, you know, oh, well, yeah. they used to post a photo once a week or once a month, but now they're doing it three times a day on their story. Yeah. It's like, this is when they want you to think they're doing well the mm-hmm. most, which probably means that they're doing the least well. Yes, yes. Uh, that is, that's that rule of thumb of- It's just anecdotal from our experience looking at some people that we've seen. Yeah, and you can check it yourself. It's true of me, and so, what I find is the the increased desire, YouTube is a separate thing, that is a, a business, but certainly the more that I check YouTube stats, and the more that I, I don't post anymore, the more that I feel like, oh, I should post that on Instagram. Then I go, oh shit, I'm sad. <laughs> Actually, I'm just sad. Yeah. And I need to figure out why I'm sad right now. So that's been my personal experience. Yeah. And now I do still think that there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is to say to the extent you can get people clean water, you mm-hmm. give them a chance of experiencing fulfillment right yeah. or whatever what's the top one self-actualization self-actualization so i do think there's still an argument to be said for taking money and distributing it to the people who are suffering the most mm-hmm. in terms of um not experience suffering but lack of basic maslow's hierarchy of needs stuff yeah so i but i also this is the first time i've really thought about this so it's- i'm still sifting through it a lot but one of the things that i find and is that I think I've said this before. The way that I give is mathematical. It is, I I go, okay, what's a percentage that I gave last year? Mm -hmm. Can I give one percentage point more this year of my income? Mm -hmm. And therefore, I am doing more good. I would say that that process is completely devoid of love, presence, and attention. It's very sterile. And I'm increasingly of the mindset that there are ripple effects to all of our behaviors. This doesn't require any woo-woo stuff, but the most positive ripple effect that you can have is when you are being loving and attentive, mm-hmm. even if it's to a, a single individual, such that I'm, sh- I'm glad that the money is digging wells and I'm sure those people are, are enjoying it, but I could do more good if I focus less on the percentage mm-hmm. points and somehow more in my life like figured out how to 
care more, love more, be more connected. Sure. What's nice though is you can do both because sure, especially sure. when you're talking about things like the Against Malaria Foundation and uh, Charity Water, small amounts of money can go a long distance. So no mm -hmm. matter how much money you have, if you just give a dollar, that's 10 nets and it takes you a minute. You know what I mean? It's literally just how long does it take you to input your credit card? Yep. So it doesn't take from your ability to then turn around to the yep. people in your community and give love and attention. So mm -hmm. even if you thought that's gonna be three times as beneficial as the money, like the money is still helpful. literally just takes the time it takes for you to input your credit card info. So I yes. think that there, you can, I can agree with what you just said and still think it's not an argument to take $1 away from charity versus what I would have given. No, no, it's Does not an argument. Yes, it's 100% not an argument to take away. But what it is is a recognition in myself that my interpretation of suffering was that it is primarily a, phys primarily a physical phenomenon, mm -hmm. which means that the obligation to remove it is primarily a material phenomenon, mm -hmm. which is to say that money is the end-all be-all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if suffering is in fact not solely a physical phenomenon and perhaps even more an emotional, mental, spiritual phenomenon, then my impact with the money is far less than I thought that it was. Mm -hmm. And my actual leverage point, which you still do the money, is elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, and so, for instance, what it what it then does is maybe it encourages me to give to something that I do feel like more excited about, like Kiva.org, which we've talked about, mm -hmm. which is microloans to specific people. They've got their smiling faces. They tell you a little bit about their story. It feels, it feels different mm -hmm. when you do it. So I don't know because I, I think that math still matters and investigation and analysis still matters over just how it feels. But it's possible that pursuing the sort of things that feel good maybe has a, a stronger ripple effect. I don't mean to diss Charity Water. I'm still going to give them <laughs> yeah, interesting. money. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want to hash it out now because I think it's going to take a long time, but yeah. I'd like to hash it out separately because I actually think that the better strategy would be to spend your money on things where your dollar makes a difference mm -hmm. and your time on things where you think your time, love, and attention can help, like a vet you know that came back sure. from war and has PTSD or a victim of trauma who what they what they will benefit from is your individual care saying you're not alone and i love you but i do think there's a really strong argument to be made that 300 dollars to charity water is better spent than 300 dollars to something that doesn't have as much of a physical impact on the world mm -hmm. do you know what i'm saying like 10 people 30 300 10 people water for 10 years versus let's say you could do a jeff bezos fund let's just use jeff bezos right where everybody in the world donates 300 dollars, which is just enough to get him a year's worth of therapy sessions i would argue that's that is a a worse use of charitable funds yes yes and so i think yeah that, that one can still perform the analysis on a per dollar spent in terms of what do these dollars do uh i agree and i think it's for it's like you said not one or the other you can do yeah, both because yeah. they they are pulling on different resources one is time and attention the other is you know money which like you said is very quick yeah, in yeah. terms of time uh cool transition to something lighter uh sure do you have something lighter yeah yeah do you have something go ahead do you see do you see the papa podcast daddy joe rogan came down on video gamers i see i didn't see him come down on video gamers i watched the clip i, saw, I wasn't that bad some talk about video but gamers. i do well i did it did it did make me think that there's still a gap in his mind and in people's minds between video games yeah. and other hobbies. Yes. Which I thought was interesting. So if people didn't see it, Joe Rogan, and I'll, I'll try to be charitable. The things he said about video games, they're extremely fun, which makes them addicting. They, I wrote this down. They're a waste of time and that, that time would be better spent if you learn jujitsu because you learn an actual skill. So yeah. three years later, 
you're a purple belt and you can actually do jujitsu and it's an avenue for you to make money. Mm -hmm. And I would just argue that you can argue that video games are bad, but not if that's your argument for what makes jujitsu good, because yeah. jujitsu could also be considered a waste of time if your definition of waste of time is fun and addicting, because mm -hmm. jujitsu is so addicting that people continue to go back even after it breaks their backs. Yeah, yeah. He's had shoulder surgeries, right? It's it's certainly more physically damaging. I like jujitsu, by the way, so I just am also think people should spend their time doing whatever they want. And video games are a skill, even though it's a new game. If three years ago you were playing Halo, you're much better at Fortnite today than I am because mm -hmm. it's the same motor skills. And I would argue you can make more money playing video games than doing jujitsu, both at the highest level and if you open up your own like at the mid school versus yeah. being a mediocre person. A uh, YouTube streamer, yeah. Exactly, a streamer that's just funny. And so I just thought it was interesting because you can be pro video games or anti video games, but it's it's funny to me to be pro video games or sorry, anti video games and pro jujitsu. And what I think that shows is that there's still in people's mind this divide between like reading books, which is a good use of time athletics which is a good use of time and video games which is a bad use of time yeah. and to me i'd say those are all uses of time but if you're going to call any of them bad you have to kind of call them all bad because yeah. they have the same merits and the same downsides sure. you know what i'm saying yeah 100 percent. i think we can and i can give a, a better argument against video games i think than he did but in terms of the way that he framed it uh you're 100 percent Right, and that I don't see... He grew up in a time, like I did, where video games were a very distinct part of life. There were no really online games. Mm -hmm. It was this siloed thing. Whoa, dogs are screaming outside. <laughs> I wonder if the mic picks that up. That's it, yeah. That's, <laughs> um, that's my dog, actually. He's running around in the hallway. Just he's being, a howler. He's being a terror. Uh, so they were siloed. And then they started to come into the world, and, and it was only within the last few years that I've realized that more and more of life is going to be digital, like it or not. You don't have to participate, but it's there's a value to it because it is a social endeavor. It's a skill. You can be good at it in the same way that you know you're you're maybe feel confident because of jujitsu when you're out in public. I'm sure that there are people that walk with a swagger because they just stomp somebody in Super Smash Bros. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, which is and yeah, this I guess it's to say people should do whatever they want. They can personally in their own life choose not to do anything because they think it's silly. But the the superiority of thinking that whatever your hobby is is better than other hobbies. I would say just throw that away. Mm -hmm. If you like music, you like books, you like video games, you like sports. You, it's just equal mm -hmm. uh and that that was my biggest takeaways so i was like these things are all the same in the sense that they all have benefits they all have downsides and they're remarkably similar benefits because there's no real reason in today's society for me to think that the muscles i build doing jujitsu are superior to the mental muscles that you build by doing video games. well i'll give i'll give an argument against video games now uh i think that the human body evolved in a time where Clearly, video games didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And there is a unique kind of expression and joy that comes from being fully physically engaged. Yeah, yeah. Which video games do not do. Like, the, the challenge of, of this, and maybe you're sweat. I've sweat during video games. Yeah. But it's absolutely not the same as when you're taking deep breaths and panting, worn out. There's Yeah, but you can do both. Yes. You can surf for two hours in yes. the morning and play video games for two hours at night. I think that that's, honestly, that's a better balance. I've done this. That's a better balance. Mm -hmm than surfing for two hours in the morning and doing jujitsu for two hours at night, mm -hmm. which is what I did for six months till my back gave out. Yeah, yeah. Because that's way too much activity to do. And I did it every single day. So I'd argue that that was more damaging to me 
than surfing two hours in the morning and then playing video games or reading a book for two hours at night. I totally, yeah, I, I don't think the video games are bad per se, but this is the, the argument for fewer video games would be one, if, if you think that it is the same as a physical activity, you're kidding yourself. There is an inherent value to physical activity that isn't based on the skill or the whatever, it's in the doing of mm -hmm. the physical activity. <laughs> Can people hear that? Can yeah. You hear that? Um, the, second, the second thing, uh, what was it? Is that video games by design are increasingly high stimulation. Mm -hmm. And there is value to activities that the frequency of intense stimulation is much lower. Mm -hmm. I think it lowers your general anxiety. I think if you're into, for instance, hiking, that is going to have some sort of a salutary effect on your entire life versus if you're just playing Halo all day, just yeah, in a I'm constant not, state of reactive. I'm not defending playing video games for 12 hours a day, mm -hmm. but I'm saying jujitsu is normally one hour a day, three times a week, right? Mm -hmm. That is a definitely a totally fine schedule for playing video games, mm -hmm. even if it's an hour every single day. I think it can be a, a part of a, a hobby that is a part of a balanced lifestyle, yep. at which point it becomes no worse than other hobbies. Yes. yes. Whereas it, yeah, because if you do it all the time, you're going to have dopamine issues and it is more addictive and things like that. But I, I would just argue that it's shouldn't be looked down upon as this activity that is worse. He was, yeah. I mean, he was basically comparing it to drug use. Yeah. Uh, I very much agree with that. The only thing that I'm considering where people might be coming from is I'm defending, and to myself as well, the need for a physical something. Because I've been, especially in quarantine, not doing that. We yeah, finally yeah. got a little bit of exercise yesterday. I was like, oh, this is qualitatively different mm -hmm. than challenging myself in a video game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's but, and I would also argue that if you're going to do something physical, to the extent you can find something that causes you joy, yes, that's actually better. So like, weirdly enough, because I was really vain, lifting weights did cause me joy because in my head it meant more than just the weights i was lifting it was people are going to like me more and this mm -hmm. and that which i do think that perception of weightlifting made weightlifting more fun for me than the actual experience which was just sitting and like moving a weight and then putting back where i found it yeah, yeah but i think to the extent that you're somebody who's like yeah i know physical activity is good for me but i don't have that joy when i go to the gym i would say trash the gym and go find something you do like whether it's basketball boxing surfing jujitsu because um, I think that in addition to there being benefits to moving your body, I think there's benefits to finding a way that moving your body causes joy for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's even the benefit that I'm highlighting. It's mm -hmm. not so much about, oh, your heart's going to be stronger. It's like, no, 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 present tense. You'll get a feeling that is, yeah, yeah. That is amazing. That can just be spike ball. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's what I think it ought to be, yes. quite frankly. I think you know this about me. You can see Oh, yeah, it I'm just saying, sorry. Well, so you're saying, you're saying for people coming from your perspective, which is playing yeah. a lot of video. I'm saying from my perspective, someone who used to think that exercising meant weightlifting. And I, I see that a lot on Instagram and on mm -hmm. YouTube. You know, there's certainly a lot more how to get six pack videos than there are how to serve a good spike ball videos. Yeah. Um, that that's when, when we, or at least when I say something physical is also good to add into your portfolio of activities along with video games, mm -hmm. something physical that brings you joy. Cool. I, I agree. Well, so we spoke last week about having conversations with people that are different and always the if you guys disagree especially or if you agree but it would just be more of the same i know i feel bad someone was like i really want to call in but i agree with you guys and i don't i don't want to discriminate against people that happen to agree with us yeah i think it would make for a more interesting conversation if they happen to agree to what you disagree yeah but uh, i said that and some i think some people in the comments saw but i also saw that ted cruz has a podcast 
and Eric Weinstein went on it, and Ooh. it was very interesting. To it was it was. Let me see what I wrote. Uh, yeah, that I've I've never seen such a high profile. I, I didn't realize this was happening. One, Ted Cruz has a podcast. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. On its is own. that mind bending? Yeah. Like what it what a. I think it's this this format will be corrupted as as all of the social media platforms have proven will happen. But right now, podcasting is still this kind of wide open space. And it's a chance for him to speak to intelligent people on camera for an extended period of time where nuance can be shown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's such an amazing idea. I think that if we haven't already, we are going to have elected members of the Senate, Congress, and the presidency that rise up through the ranks of YouTube and podcasts after mm -hmm. watching this. Because really all that Ted Cruz did was ask a handful of questions, listen to Eric Weinstein, and my opinion of him, which was the only thing I knew him from was the Republican primaries and having some spit on his lip and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and kind of getting Lion dismantled Ted. by Trump. Lion Ted. Without knowing much about him, my opinion of him rose simply by watching him listen <laughs> to, to someone he disagreed to someone with. that he disagreed with and say well you know i do i do see your point here but i disagree here and I, and just just watching him be courteous and a human yeah was which is to say it's not an endorsement of no, ted cruz's politics no, I don't know any ted but you're just saying it was a great move on his part because it humanized him a bit yes and i think it opens there's just it was it was cool to see i think that there's a huge opportunity here for people that are are well maybe not if you're already in the senate because you stand to lose if you mm -hmm. alienate your base but if you are a nobody coming up in that way like andrew yang style on the mm -hmm. podcast circuit Dude, is, candace owens could be a vp candidate one day yeah and she's she's i think completely made from social media right yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, that that was the biggest thing that i saw one it was cool that there was two people who disagreed with each other i wish they had debated more it was a lot of listening which was still cool um, but there's a lot of Eric Weinstein talking, telling him what he thought about some of the policies and, and how we got to where we are. Uh, but it's cool. It was cool. I want more of it. And I think that it is the answer is to have people who disagree with one another, mm -hmm. treating each other kindly and not coming to resolution. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, when especially if they walk away feeling differently, but still being kind to one another. So mm -hmm. if especially if you are out there and you disagree with anything that we've done or said or whatever on the podcast, come on, we'll be cool, we'll be cordial. Uh, and and that's it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Anything else? Yeah, you want to talk about the danger of um, when the masses are voting on stuff that they don't really understand? So we've talked about democracy in the past. No, no, this was just, I mean, we, we can go wherever we want with this, but I saw, so as a surfer, this one just was something I noticed. Mark Zuckerberg, the eternal meme lord that people mm -hmm. love to ch just make fun of for being a lizard, not understanding how humans work. He was photographed on a electronic surfboard with a bunch of white stuff on his face. And the internet went crazy because Zuckerberg doesn't know how to rub in sunscreen. Ha ha ha. Like what a dummy. But that is exactly what you look like when you go surfing. You don't use sunscreen. You use this thing called zinc. It's white, you cover your face in it, and that lets you be in the ocean for three hours without getting sunburned. Because mm -hmm. any SPF 100 doesn't matter, the salt water will just abrasively rub it off. Which is to say, if you know surfing and you look at that photo, you go, this is a totally reasonable thing. It's exactly what you should do when you surf. The problem is a very small percentage of the population knows that. Yeah. And so even though he was doing exactly what you should do, he got absolutely, uh, I don't know, blasted on the internet for being an idiot. And it was just a little microcosm. It didn't really matter. Zuckerberg, even if he saw it, I'm sure doesn't care of 
this is what's happening all the time, which is to say, people watch videos or see photos, don't fully understand the context, but create a very strong opinion rather than going, I don't know anything about this. And uh, I think I think it's dangerous. Like I immediately reflected on myself when we were watching videos of the riots. There's this guy, he was arrested. He manages to get free of the cops. He sprints as his friend pulls around a car, jumps in the window and gets away. And the cop swings a baton and hits the car, dents the car. And people in the comments were like, what a tantrum, what a child. I can't believe that that's her reaction to losing the guy. Like this reflects badly on the cop. And I was like, oh wow, yeah, that is kind of weird that she just like in frustration hit the car until a comment said, just so you know, they ding cars like that so that they can track them in the uh -huh. streets so that they know who has just helped a criminal escape custody, basically. I don't know if that's true or not. Is it true that commenter might've been making it up, but it stopped me from forming any judgment about the police officer. Cause I went, wow, I really have no idea what the rules are when you arrest someone. Mm -hmm. And it's very possible that wasn't a temper tantrum, but someone keeping their head and remembering protocol, even amongst the frustration of losing an arrest. Yeah. And so, yeah, between the Zuckerberg thing and that personal experience, I just go, man, the, the, the world is forming opinions based on snapshots and photos and small videos that they know nothing about. And then most of the time, not finding that comment about what a dent means and just walking away with their opinions going, oh, that cop's a savage. Oh, Zuckerberg's an idiot. Yeah. And then that's, I think, a very dangerous society, one where everybody has strong opinions about things they don't understand or know anything about. Well, we've, there's so many ways in which the, the danger of video and images is that it makes you think that you understand what occurred. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about how one, these things can be doctored so that the actual what you're seeing isn't what had occurred. Mm -hmm. But you're raising another thing. And the second one is a context. Okay, it's a short clip what happened before, which is a problem. Okay. But what you're raising isn't even a third one, mm -hmm. which is let's say we have the context, we understand this, we see this. I don't understand enough about what I am seeing, mm -hmm. zinc on your face, a dent in the car, to make a determination of this. Yep. And so all three of these forces are occurring, while at the same time I still, knowing this, can't shake the feeling that when I see a video, I, I know have learned. No, I've learned something. Mm -hmm. When I have to recognize, I've learned nothing. The videos that I've seen of what's going on in Portland, I've learned nothing. <laughs> like, and so I guess what I just have to do is turn off uh, footage of what's occurring because it's a trap mm -hmm. to believe that I know anything unless I'm willing to go deep into understanding such that I could be the person who understood that the, this is what a dent means, but that's not what we do in this particular jurisdiction because six months ago it was made illegal. So actually that, that cop is not up to date. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, the takeaway that I, that I get from that is, is that watching news footage for me personally is a complete waste of time. It tricks me into thinking that I'm more informed than I am. And Dude, especially with how easy it is to Photoshop, mm -hmm. you know, like have you, what is it? It's called, I wrote this down. There's an app called QuickShot, which lets you in three seconds remove anything from a photo, which is yeah. to say you could see a photo posted on Reddit or Instagram that shows one cop being overrun by a sea of rioters or one rioter being beaten by a sea of police. And what you don't realize is that in three seconds, that person could have easily just erased all the other people that are there such that it's actually a wall of rioters and a wall of police. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it, it takes three seconds and it's free to download. Well, this, That's, was, this was the Justin Bieber eats a... Uh, it's a 
burrito that the what did they do yes theory did they had a guy who dressed up looking like justin bieber eat a burrito then another guy did one where he dressed up like a rapper and made out with some other girl and then they put him on blast every single news station said he was cheating on her mm -hmm. and it's like oh good add a bad actor to all of this and by the way these guys are just doing it for the lulls no but like <laughs> bad actor meaning when I, no matter what side i'm on i'm incentivized yeah. to edit the photo to make it look the way that i want we were talking about this the other day there's this weird thing that occurs that people feel that their side is so right that it's worth lying to get their point across, mm -hmm. which is to say that they think that there is global warming or isn't global warming or COVID is real or COVID is fake. And instead of just letting the reality speak for itself, they go, well, in order to convince people, I'm going to lie. I'm going to dress up like a doctor, even though I'm not, or mm -hmm. I'm going to cite a study that doesn't exist. And so, yeah, and then you now you have unreliable photos, unreliable videos, and people who are trying to manipulate you into feeling something. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to keep all that in mind because what you see is a video or, or a photo that is designed to make you feel a certain way. And so you have the feeling. Yeah. I think having the feeling is almost unstoppable. And then what you have to be able to do is immediately pause yourself and reflect and invalidate the feeling in your head, which is incredibly difficult. Yeah. I mean, what I've been struggling with a lot is how does one operate in a world that seems to be seems to demand or at least try to grab your attention on a global or national level mm -hmm. right so that's where uh if you if you log on to the internet or turn on the television <laughs> or listen to the radio uh it's pulling your attention away from your immediate surroundings mm -hmm. to a larger context how do you live in that world that seems to you know that prizes being an informed citizen when I feel like I've started to recognize that such a thing does not exist. There are just different shades of uh, brainwashed, and then yeah. there's a hand, and then there's a limited, limited range of things into which you can be an honest to god expert. Still could change your opinions, but you've gone deep enough into something that you go, okay, I'm going to make a tentative truth claim as to what has occurred and why it's occurred, and then I can make a prediction into the future of what may happen. But the tough part is, let's say that person's not you right mm -hmm. but you're watching them and you know they're informed and you know that they've done the research and so you want to outsource your well, beliefs. That's, so what you're saying is that one way to do it is to have a trusted person to whom you outsource your decision making. i'm not because what i'm saying is that that person has an agenda yeah this, this is the problem that's what i'm saying is that there's a there's a someone who truly did go to med school who truly does specialize in viruses and has one opinion about COVID. and there's someone who truly went to med school and truly mm -hmm. does have specialization specialization in viruses and they feel a different way about it. Mm -hmm. And they're gonna present different information. Even if they both know all the studies, the ones they're gonna cite are gonna support their cause. You know what I mean? No one's mm -hmm. gonna say, listen, I don't think COVID's real, but, but to be fair, I do want you to know a week ago, we found new information that it's more dangerous than I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. They're not gonna do that. They're gonna say, oh, I'm not gonna talk about that study. Yeah. And so I don't think you can outsource anymore without at least recognizing the person you're outsourcing has an agenda and basically wants to manipulate you into feeling the way they feel about the issue they're so knowledgeable about. But, oh, so I totally agree, but nevertheless, we do it, right? I outsource uh, my plumbing, I outsource everything in my life. I am trusting an individual to say, hey, I understand this thing. I understand how to make your food. I understand the mm -hmm. germ theory of disease and I've put on my gloves and yeah, worn yeah. my mask. Uh, there's, it's, it's crazy to operate in a world well, that's a that local demands. Level. That's a, right. You're talking about trusting your doctor to know what what antibiotic to, to prescribe to you when you have strep, mm -hmm. which is different. You're you're talking about. I actually think that uh, 
most of the time we're actually okay weirdly enough on a very local level of the people we interact with i think that the i don't think that my local people have been uh i perhaps uh, i don't we're, we're kind of expanding this argument in a hundred different directions but i'll give you an example uh locally i had to go to college that was the absolute right economic decision i, would, I think that that was so patently wrong mm, uh, i see what you're saying locally uh the bottom of the food pyramid is bread <laughs> right like local uh, trusting people obviously has its drawbacks yeah, 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 yeah. this is this is the tension trusting people has a ton of drawbacks mm -hmm. being an expert on everything is impossible yep how does one operate in the world and i guess what i do is just with such a flim flam wish-washy tentative understanding of everything such that when people ask me for an opinion if i'm in my right mind i go but i could be wrong but yeah, i could yeah, be yeah. wrong but i could and it's just like well this this person isn't interesting to listen to because yes. <laughs> they're just they don't know anything yeah um so that's kind of that's how I've I've tried to make sure everything is tentative. That's where I've landed. Yeah, I guess that's I that would be my advice. I guess is that everyone should have much less conviction in their in how much they think they understand about what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk more. No, I think I, that's that's where I've landed, and I've tried to focus on the handful of things that. This is why I liked philosophy in college is because you didn't necessarily need to have knowledge of the world to discuss philosophy versus politics. People will come in with two different studies, which are on the face contradicting one another. And so you'll have to go deep into the methodology, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. With philosophy, there's no, there's no appeal to a study. Dude, can, a lot you? of it can be done a priori. This is random, but a friend of ours... Some of it can be done, sorry. A, a friend of ours shared a study on uh, Instagram. I have no dog in this fight, but... He was talking about how a study had come out saying that masks aren't useful. I was mm. like, oh, interesting. So I sent him a message. I said, hey, man, can you send me the study? He's like, oh, I didn't see the study. I saw it on a video from this uh, influencer. Like, okay, well, I don't trust that person. <laughs> so then I looked up the study, and the, the one that I found that closely resembles what he was talking about, they did a study of uh, medical masks, cloth masks, and control. And what they found is medical masks are helpful. Cloth masks actually perform worse than control problem is what the influencer said was that control was no mask and when you read the study it literally says control parentheses which includes wearing masks some of the time <laughs> but they were medical masks because they were doing the standard oh. medical procedure of the hospital to try to decide if every person in the hospital should wear a cloth mask they said no for this hospital let's stick to medical masks. medical masks some of the time and no masks some of the time but this person we're friends with was advocating that this study explained why society should stop wearing masks mm. in america and i was just like bro you have to try to you have to try to find the study yeah you know what i mean if you're going to try to make a takeaway from the study and uh, i'm i've been guilty of that in the past with social studies type um studies i guess where we were talking about the impact of something and you go oh well actually when you go on a bridge your adrenaline's rushing and so what that means is that uh the person's gonna like you more and then you find out it's not the case mm -hmm. so it's not like i'm a genius i just had to learn from my own studies being debunked that uh or my own interpretation of studies being debunked that you have to go to the source mm -hmm. but it's fascinating because this guy has tens of thousands of followers who now at least know his view of that study yeah so it's always dangerous even when in politics people quote studies that they say support their cause it's like, well, maybe it doesn't. Maybe they're just purposefully misinterpreting a study. Yeah. You know, the other thing that's fascinating is that I wish we would all be more conscious and honest about how we made up our minds. Because so often I was watching 
uh, a debate, a channel that I really enjoy, Rationality Rules, was doing a debate with an atheist. Mm -hmm. And the atheist gave... An oh, he was debating against an atheist. Against, yeah, he's Rationality Rules? Yeah. Oh, sorry, uh, a theist. Oh, I that makes more sense. I apologize. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought Rationality Rules was an atheist. <laughs> yes. So he, one of the arguments is called the Kalam, which... The argument is this, if God is perfect, and, and then there could be nothing more perfect, and so God has to exist. It's, it's this convoluted thing, and quite frankly, even as a philosophy major, the steps to get there, you kind of lose me, but you arrive at, therefore, God exists. And rationality rules goes back, and he hits the premises hard, and he, he, he does a great job. Quite frankly, I did even struggle to keep up. It's been a minute since I've, since I've done this stuff, mm -hmm. but it was like... Is this why anyone has ever believed in God? Is yeah, was this yeah, yeah. was this what did it? Can we just tell the truth, man? You were raised in a religious household, yep. and you love your mom and your dad, and you've never let go of that. Yep. Can we just say how? Yeah, this... you weren't born an atheist into yeah. an atheist family who then found this found particular the theorem, Come on, man. and the Kalam is what is what changed your mind. And so and so, it seems strange to me to debunk studies which didn't persuade that person that this is like that's not why you don't want to wear a mask, yeah. man. Can you please just say why? Because your team, or you're this, or you heard from somebody, or well, yeah, and in this person's case, I think because you're a science skeptic, because mm -hmm. you don't you don't like Western medicine, yes. so any study that tells you that that's not the answer is going to appeal to you. Yes, and so I'm guilty of this because I like to argue, but I've caught myself several times. I don't always tell the other person, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm in an argument, and I'm making an argument which I can uh, maneuver, manipulate to win, but I know that's not what persuaded me. Yeah, to to my thing, and. It's bullshit. <laughs> it's total bullshit. It's a power move. It's it's uh, low blow cheating. I think you have to start with what was persuasive to you. Yeah. And if you find for I'm, I'm not particularly religious, but if you are, I think you do have to start with the fact that you probably grew up in a religious family and that had a huge impact on you. And this is what I see in Ben Shapiro when he talks about um, some of the reasons that he's religious and he, he goes throughout history and western it's this isn't why if any of this and if any of this weren't true ben you would still be jewish yeah that's the other thing if the kalam didn't work this guy would still be a christian so i have tried or at least to notice if not to stop doing <laughs> the times in which i am offering arguments that even if they were wrong it's like well that's not why i think it anyway yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um but i thought that was just a funny a funny thing let me see what else I got for you. Do you have any more in yours, by the way? No, I'm good, man. I'm ready to get to questions. Go ahead. Okay, first one is, have you heard of Chris Evans' new project, A Starting Point? It's a website slash app that covers political and social issues in a very unique way. In every topic you click on, you'll find a short, uninterrupted video of Democratic politicians on one side and Republicans on the other saying what they think should be done about the issue. It also gives politicians a chance to debate different topics without having to deal with likes, dislikes, comments, or an audience. We've been dealing with biased media for ages. Do you think this website has a chance of being successful, objective, and an unbiased source of information? Definitely not unbiased. No, certainly not. Uh, objective also isn't real. I think we've talked philosophically about this idea. The, uh, when people say objective, I think it's important to, to talk about what you mean. Objective, uh, philosophically speaking, there's subjective and objective. Subjective means that it is based on an individual's interpretation of events. Objective would be kind of a God's eye view. Mm -hmm. uh, we are incapable. We are all subjects. So anything that we do is flowing through us. Yeah. So there is no objective view of politics. Well, and there, I have a more concrete potential issue with this one. First of all, I love Chris Evans. So mm -hmm. this is not to knock him or what he's trying to do. 
But if I'm an editor for this website and I happen to personally have a political slant, right? I lean Democrat. Then when I have an issue, let's say gun control, what I'm going to do is pick the most eloquent pro-gun control Democratic politician I can for the Democrat side of the video and the worst, weakest Republican person for the Republican side of the video. Mm -hmm. So like if it's one politician or two politicians for each side speaking, who selects those politicians is going to have a dramatic impact on how persuasive they are for mm -hmm. that argument. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. So it's just really hard to have an unbiased argument because like to say that a senator can accurately represent the, the philosophy of the argument is actually, I think, a mistake. Yeah, but but all that said, I think it's a step in the right direction. Oh, and cool I think idea. the idea starting point is exactly the right. It's what it is. It's not the end. It's just, okay, this is a perhaps a better way of trying to do things. Give people space to represent their arguments. And what I guess you could do is you could open it up to any senator and or congressperson and say, you guys and your team vote which one you want. You've mm -hmm. got three minutes such that we're not picking. Uh, and so there would be ways to mitigate against mm -hmm. against uh, bias coming from that company. But the problem always is that this thing will need to turn a profit and or be owned by a person that has mm -hmm. a pro they have a life experience that is not shared by every other person. And well, to the degree to which they interfere with the colors that they use, all of these things have have subtle but important effects. No, and if it has to make money, then making money will start to run the ship. Yeah. And if it has one private founder, then that person's political views will be represented strongly on the site. Yes. The other thing that's an issue, which and by the way, your know. political views, your political views might be uh, more laissez-faire. In which case, that's that is still a perspective. There are people out there that say that. Uh, words are violence and in not curbing someone's speech you are allowing harm to be done so in dismissing that argument and saying no I'm, I'm laissez-faire you say whatever you want well you've already taken a side <laughs> in the words are violence argument you might think it's the obvious side but you have taken a side so, yeah go ahead no the other thing I think which is the bigger problem in society today is what will likely happen for most users of that site is they'll click something when they see that their side is represented strongly, they'll go, yes, excellent, I agree. And to the extent that somebody makes a very good point against their beliefs, they will immediately dismiss it and forget it. And so I think the, the I don't have an answer, I wish I did, but I think that the biggest problem to be solved in politics today is people tend to have an extreme bias in what they search for and what they retain, mm -hmm. what they find persuasive, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So even if I had two of the greatest debaters one was pro-global warming and one was uh, said that global warming wasn't real. And I sat down an audience full of Democrats and Republicans. Most people would leave feeling the same way they had felt going in. Maybe a few would change their minds. And like, that's the, I think, the biggest issue in politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think it's a cool idea. I'm, I think it's actually a, it navigates a lot of the difficulties very well. Still will likely have some issues, but. Yeah. Anyone can solve that last problem, though. That I think would change the world. Confirmation bias? Yeah. Yeah, in-group, out-group, confirmation bias. I mean, that stuff is that stuff is deep. I know. That that's is, what I'm saying. That's what uh, I'm saying. No matter how much you try to try to impact the inputs, the biggest thing that's going to change that is what the person already believes. Sure. And so I'll say it. I say it every time. Sorry, guys. We're so repetitive. Psychedelics. I think what happens... 
the reason that people cannot let go of things is because they identify with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it feels truly like a personal attack and or a death. It is a psychic death when your side loses. Mm-hmm. It is gut-wrenching and it the, the, your pain centers are, are going on. And it's oh more, true, the more true the more you identify with the group. Yes. So the more strongly someone feels that they are a Democrat or they are a liberal or they mm-hmm. are a Republican or they are a conservative is the extent to which they will feel feel personally attacked when you attack yes. an ideology. And so what psychedelics enable you to do is they show you not only that your ideology is, but also that your attachment to, in some cases, your body, your story is illusory, that you are beyond that, more than that, such that it becomes easier in your life to detach from ideas. Uh, and in some cases, people just completely detach and they go, no, I'm, I'm beyond suffering at this point, which I've not gotten to. But I definitely, they say psychedelics open your mind. What they do is they detach you from the identification to your mind mm-hmm. such that, oh, new information came. Like, I changed my mind. Oh, more information came. I'm going in this direction. Uh, so that, that's been something that has worked for me and I think can help other people too. But go ahead. Cool. I say it every time. <laughs> <laughs> Next is, hi guys, greetings from the Czech Republic. I'm a 20-year-old single male, and for years now, I've benefited from an attitude I got from Charlie that having a romantic relationship is great, but not necessary for happiness in life. However, in the past few months, I've started to notice urges in my mind that were never there before, like wanting to grab a girl around the shoulders or hug someone I love when I'm falling asleep in bed. It feels like biology is starting to get to me, and though I try to fight it with rational thinking, more and more I can see that I'm no longer in the old mindset of relationship is nice bonus to life, and that I'm actually craving a girlfriend. I assume this is normal for this age, but sometimes it's quite unpleasant. I want a life partner in the future, but I don't think desperately craving one is the right way to get there. Several things I've discovered through you guys saved me from having to learn something the hard way, like finding the voice of my inner child after watching Charlie's video on ayahuasca without having to take psychedelics myself. I was wondering if you think this belongs there too, or if everyone has to go through this phase themselves. So my question is, do you think this phase of craving a relationship can be skipped, or is there something that can be done about it? Wow. I'll give my answer, and then I know your answer is going to be, uh, I know what yours is going to be. <laughs> but I think that one, the only thing I would say is at a high level, you're allowed to like put your arm around someone, cuddle someone without wanting them to be your girlfriend. Like The fact that you're desiring to be kinder or more physically affectionate doesn't have to mean anything except for that you feel like being more physically affectionate. So that's, yeah, yeah. that's the one thing I would say, and then I know. Well, yeah, Ben's saying there's shades of gray between dating girlfriend wife life partner you know there's there's it could literally just be person i sleep with but fl- also yeah, like flirting dating with. yeah yeah yeah. so so there's uh all of that and and one of the things that i did sense early on is that uh i was making that statement not for necessarily people who have never been in a relationship but for people who are in relationships and feel that they can't escape them or would be devastated if they didn't if they left uh people who are in a relationship and they go this isn't good but it's better than being alone yes because alone is hell yes it was never meant to dissuade someone from having the experience of being in a relationship uh and certainly i don't want you operating in the world with oh like an older person told me that this ultimately these these relationship things ultimately are very difficult and challenging and even though i want one i'm not gonna do it that's not that's zero what i'm intending it was really for the guy who just lost his girlfriend Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to go dude it's not the only way like you've seen it it was hard right it kind of (laughs) sucked you can be happy without that so do i think everyone has to do it 
I think everyone does. I don't think you can learn from other people. Um, That's the part I was waiting for you to get to. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen anyone. A little bit. I've seen. I've seen very, very slight areas of adjustment, which seem valuable from watching people older than you in terms of, oh, like maybe I won't rush into marriage or, oh, yeah, yeah. maybe we won't move in together but right away or something. But when it comes to that desire to have someone be with someone and be puppy dog in love, there's just too many forces operating against you. It's not just biology. It's the entirety of society mm-hmm. that, is, that is telling you that this is this is the way to happiness and you can't interact with people or log onto the internet or watch television without the message of the key to happiness is a life partner being just completely shoved down your throat so mm-hmm. i think at some point you're going to need firsthand experience of what that is in order to make up your own mind as to how important it ought to be in your life yeah yeah the only thing i'd say just kind of circling back is just get clear on what you actually want do you want somebody that's in love with you do you want to be in love with someone do you want someone that calls you a boyfriend and you call a girlfriend do you want someone that just you hang out with three times a week and you you cuddle when you sleep like and you might not know and this is the other this is when people ask me about college like you want a big one or a small one it's like How the, i don't know i've never been to college yes. and so you probably this is what happens to everybody and so do it young you're going to get into a relationship and you're going to really like this person and in an effort to make them happy you're going to do whatever they say they want <laughs> and you're, you're going to immediately commit or buy them something nice for their birthday or, or just because you don't have any frame of reference and it's good to get that done at a younger age yeah all i was trying to do is i think when i was growing up i had an idea of what relationships were and in my head there was only two things you could do sleep with someone and not care about them or be their boyfriend girlfriend and that it was mean i i, I just had all these rules and they weren't real i guess is what i'm saying mm-hmm. like you can define what you want i remember i stayed in this girl in college we were not exclusive we'd never said we were exclusive this other girl came up to me and I liked her and I thought she was attractive and she wanted to hook up with me. I said, no, I can't do that because it would be mean to this girl that I'm sleeping with. But she had never expressed that. I'd never asked her. We'd never talked about it. You know what I'm saying? Like I just had all these preconceived notions that I'd gotten from movies and TV because I didn't have any dating experience. Mm -hmm. And I would have been much better off just thinking about what I actually want and then just talking to the person I was sleeping with. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And getting on the same page because, I mean, maybe she turns around and does you know somebody asked her that same thing it's like sure it's like well i thought exactly. we had maybe, an i mean yeah here. she wasn't but maybe she would could have been you know no there's that's that's a covert contract is what yes, you're talking about you exactly. don't want covert contracts you and want, it was an assumption yeah. i made i was like oh this is what she wants to be happy and also this is what it means to be sleeping with someone yeah, yeah, is yeah. that you aren't sleeping with other people and this and i, I like didn't but i wasn't a good boyfriend to her we weren't dating like yeah, yeah. i largely ignored her i booty called her like I, i'm not i wasn't a good uh loving doting boyfriend type guy i just Mm -hmm. had this thing in my head of like okay i'm allowed to ignore her i'm allowed to spend all day not talking to her but what i can't do is versus if you'd spoken to her she might have shared i want yeah sleep with other people just like hey can we like go on a date that's not to your uh dorm room yeah yeah you know what i mean and so who knows what she would have said um i don't and that's that's all i'm saying so which is to say that um your framework may be this weird self-imposed thing you've gotten from movies and tv and actually Mm -hmm. again Maybe you don't want a girlfriend. Maybe you've just been really sterile in your relationships because you've decided cuddling sends the wrong message. And so you're finally giving yourself permission to do this thing you've always wanted to do, which is feel the physical affection of a cuddle. And you're like, this feels amazing. I think I want a girlfriend. It's like, well, maybe actually you just want to stop mm-hmm. preventing yourself from doing this thing that you have wanted to do all along. Yeah. And you don't even want a girlfriend. What you just want is permission to cuddle. And you think you need to have a girlfriend to give yourself permission to cuddle. Does that make sense? Yep. 100%. 
Uh, this is the last thing I have written down, and it's a YouTube comment. Um, so this is from Flicky Fitness, and they ask, would you recommend your Charisma course even if we are in lockdown and unable to go out? No, no, not if you can't go out. Uh, you need to be able to interact with people. So every day has an action guide. Now, there was only, luckily, one day that <laughs> has been affected by COVID, <laughs> which is day three, I think. Uh, and so we've adjusted day three. But other than that, it's a lot of storytelling. It's a lot oh, of you introducing yourself. Three? Yeah. It's a lot of uh, storytelling. It's a lot of uh, how how to answer the question, where are you from? What do you do in a way that's fascinating? So you could technically learn it, but if you're not putting it into practice, it won't stick. No, yeah. Now, it depends what you mean by in lockdown. So for instance, California is in lockdown. Yeah. But I can go to a coffee shop, talk to three baristas, no problem. In which case, I can work on certain things within Charisma University. Uh, I can go to restaurants with friends in California. We just have to sit outside. Yeah. That version of lockdown, I think, actually totally fine for Charisma Great University. time for it. You yeah. got nothing else to do. Yeah. Uh, once a day, you need to go spend 20 minutes on the exercise. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, the way Charisma University works is it's a video you watch and then a 20-minute thing you do every day. None of them are going to require you to be in a bar with 100 people. So mm -hmm. if you live in L.A., yeah, it's a totally great environment for it. Mm -hmm. If you're in a place like one of the other questions where you're basically unable to leave the house, then you're too restricted. Yes. So it just depends how, what your area is doing in terms of lockdown. I'll, I'll reframe the question. Can you interact with someone that isn't your mother, father, brother, sister, roommate uh, four or five days a week? Me and that could be a service person, that could be a slightly extended friend, yep. someone that just isn't that same person who lives with you. If the answer is yes, you can do the course. If the answer is no, this is not the right time. Yeah. Take emotional mastery. <laughs> that one's all by yourself. Uh, that's it though, right? That's yep. the only, only YouTube question. Yeah, the thing is we get a lot of repeat questions, so uh, I like to kind of give a cool down period before Yeah, we, like, we have a lot of repeat topics. <laughs> I sometimes, <laughs> I feel like I say sometimes the same thing too often. I apologize. But anyway, guys, thank you so much. I think we're off next week unless we hit 1200 in Patreon. Yep, so we're at $1,000 a month now. So if we get to 1200 before Wednesday, I guess, then mm -hmm. we'll shoot Thursday. And if not, then there will be a week off and then we'll be back. Yeah, we'll see. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.